we are back in our series called Holiness, uh, the church's holiness, called the calling and the challenge, where we have been walking with Paul as he continues to write to the Corinthian Christians, writing about uh, their holiness and through Paul's writing this morning. And as we've seen in the past few weeks, Paul has been addressing multiple issues within the church, and ultimately his goal has been to call the church, the individual people, back to holiness, and then through that holiness, see the church become unified again. Now, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, where Paul begins with a very simple message. I think it is one that we will appreciate today, a simple message, a simple call for the believers in Christ, a call that really, honestly, is not new to us, something we have heard before, so please do me a favor and don't tune out if you feel like this is something that you are well aware of and have grasped. I'd rather this be an encouragement to you today, and if this is something that you feel that you're not doing very well with, then I pray that God gives you ears to hear and softened open hearts to understand as we begin to unpack what can really be a very simple message coming from Paul. Now, before I get into what that message is, I want to tell you that um, in studying the early parts of 1 Corinthians 2, I really wrestled as your pastor to decide, do we unpack just the first five verses or do we go all the way through verse 16 or could the first five verses have tied into what we talked about last week? And I got to be honest with you, after a lot of prayer, careful study and reading, um, I'm going to be bluntly honest with you and say I really had no idea why I separated the first five verses of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. And so I sought answers. And I looked and studied and continued to study and prayed. And I said, God, if this is your will, then may it be so. And so as I began to read and continue to read this week, I noticed how the simple message that Paul gave to the Corinthian Christians was a message that not only we needed to hear today, but a message that many people, both Christians and non-Christians alike, are now seeking from the church. And so literally what we have before us is a very simple and clear call from Paul to the Corinthian Christians where he says, if you are to do anything today, if you are to say anything today, then do this or say this, and that message is preach Christ crucified. One simple message, one very simple point. Now, in thinking about this message and thinking about this particular point, I was reminded of a story that I heard uh, back April a year ago from another pastor who shared this story. You see, he told the story of a Puritan pastor. Uh, clearly, this pastor had to be a Puritan because when his sermon ended, it ended with the phrase, and 17thly, which means that he preached a 17-point sermon. Now, could you imagine what that would be like if I told you we have 17 points to cover in a sermon? I would imagine many of you would begin to gather and pray and then go to your elders and say, we need you to talk to Johnny. This is excessive. Now, for this particular pastor, he delivered a 17-point sermon. He went home, felt good about his delivery, and then ultimately after eating lunch, he sat down with his wife to talk about the message that had been preached. And praise be to God, the reality of a pastor is this. One of the greatest critiques that we can get on our sermons naturally comes from the person who lives within our home, our wives. 
because they know our hearts as husbands and pastors. They have a good grasp of the heart of the church, but at the same time, they can look at us as men and as husbands and say, did your preaching match with how you now live? So this particular pastor's wife was one of those good critics. She started scolding him for the length of his sermon. She started scolding him, excuse me, for the depth of his message. And after a brief afternoon conversation, he realized that she was right and something now needed to be done. So that evening, upon returning to church, gathered for the evening prayers and ultimately the evening preaching, the pastor said this, I have come to realize that this morning was heaven. I've come to realize that I gave you a lot of points. I gave you a lot to consider with each point. So for the sake of our sanity, for the sake of peace, for the sake of goodness, and for the sake of grace, and for the sake of unity in the church, tonight's message will be pointless. Now I want you to know that in God's grace and in God's goodness and for the sake of our own unity this morning, this message today from the Word is pointless as well. Now, that's not to say that there is no point to the text, but rather there is just one simple message that Paul conveys to the Corinthian Christians. So what I want us to do now is dive into our text and see how Paul unpacks this very simple message of preaching Christ Crucified. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place and you can and are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians as directed by the Spirit of God. Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, if you have noticed so far in our text, Paul is now moving from talking about the divisions that exist in the church because of the factions that they have now chosen for themselves to ultimately focusing on what he believes is a matter uh, that might be of greater importance than any other topic. In fact, this is going to be a matter that, uh, a subject matter that Paul's going to return to several times as we continue our walk through 1 Corinthians. So Paul is literally writing and teaching that the focus of his ministry and the focus of his words are not on eloquent rhetoric, which I am sure that Paul could have had easily when it came to his own preaching of the gospel. But rather what Paul says is his focus was on the message of preaching Christ crucified. Paul literally states that his reasoning for his laser focus is so that the Corinthian Christians would no longer place their hope in human wisdom, but rather through preaching Christ crucified, they will now place their hope in the now revealed power of God. 
Now, before we get to that point and before we get into that text, I want to define a little bit more about the meaning of what we're talking about when we say to preach. Because this, pa- this passage was actually meant to not only be an encouragement to, to pastors as they preach and proclaim the gospel, but also to the Christians as well. You see, this morning when we say preach, we're not just talking about the art of of the proclamation of the Word of God from the pulpit that is reserved for the pastors and the elders of the church. Rather, what we are talking about when we say preach Christ crucified this morning is as a people, we are now called to focus on the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to herald the message of the gospel. But the reality is we don't use words like herald unless you're talking to herald. And generally you're talking about dessert, which is a great conversation to have with him. I would encourage you all to have that conversation with that brother. He knows what he's doing amongst many other things. We don't use the words like proclaim anymore. And I won't say the joke because he knows it's coming. Looking at you, brother. I want to use a word that we understand well, which is the word preach, because you see the reality is yes, the pulpit and preaching the word of God is reserved for the pastor and is reserved for the elders of the church, but also as believers in Christ, we are now called to preach Christ crucified, and that is the message that Paul gives to the believers. So let's get back into our text and see why it is that we are now called to preach Christ crucified. Look with me again in verse 1. Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now notice in this text how Paul opens by saying, And I, when I came to you. Paul is literally reflecting back and reminding the believers on the year and six months that he initially spent proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of Corinth. Now, this is actually recorded in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. And Paul says on his time there that I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Notice what Paul is saying about his time there. He is saying that I did not come to you proclaiming a message with eloquent words. I did not come to you proclaiming a message with any kind of glitz and and glamour, if you will. I did not come with words that would leave you remembering me. Rather, what Paul tells us in this text in verse 41 was that his focus was on the proclamation of the testimony of God. Now, the word testimony is actually interesting here because it's also rendered as the mystery or the secret message of God, which means that Paul came to preach, to herald, to proclaim, and make known what was unknown to the people of Corinth. In other words, Paul came to Corinth to make accessible what was inaccessible to the people of Corinth during that time because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ had not yet gotten to them. Now, we know this was true of Paul. We know upon reading Acts chapter 18 that Paul spent his entire year and a half focused on the proclamation of the gospel. He spent his entire year and a half teaching the Word of God. We see this throughout Acts chapter 18 through the first 11 verses because when you go back and read it, you'll see phrases like this, verse 4. 
It says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. He reasoned with them according to the word of God. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 18. When Saul and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. What a great thing to say to someone. Could you imagine if if someone walked into your home and they said, where is Paul? And they said of you, well, he is currently occupied with the word. But he is happy that you're here. We continue from there in verse 8 of Acts chapter 18, and we see in many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. In other words, they were hearing the message of the gospel. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 18, we read, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And what was Paul speaking? The word of God. Verse 11, we learn that Paul stayed a year and six months. And this is what it says about Paul. Teaching the word of God among them. So let's ask a very simple question this morning. What was Paul doing with his time in Corinth? He wasn't just working to make a wage. He wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. He wasn't just sitting around saying, well, I get God. I understand the message of Christ crucified, and I hope you do one day as well when someone else comes and preaches it to you. And then he walks away. No, what we learn from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, is that Paul was in Corinth and he was there for one purpose, and that was to preach Christ crucified. The message for Paul was simple. The call was clear. All Paul did was remain faithful to God, remain faithful to the word of God, and he preached a simple message, and that is to preach Christ crucified. Crucified. So when we think about Paul and his time in Corinth, we have to ask ourselves today, what about us? Why do we today, as a Western society, as believers living in the West, in the midst of all of our freedoms, why do we sit around and wait for someone else to do what it is that we ourselves are called to do? I mean, think about that for a moment. It's like living in a neighborhood, which I do. I live in a neighborhood. I love my neighborhood. I love the people that I live around, but this would almost be like me saying today, man, I love my neighbors. I love the fact that my children have children that they can play with across the street. I love the fact that we, we block the road for volleyball now. We, we block the road for wiffle ball. And yeah, some people get out of their cars and join in with us. It's a lot of fun. I love our neighborhood. I hate the yard work. But that's okay, because every now and then as neighbors, we help each other out. It's a wonderful neighborhood. I love the families that live around me. I love the families that that literally live across the street and beside us. But here's the reality. I wish someone would come to my neighborhood and share the word of God with them. I wish... wish Corey would show up or Forrest would show up. I mean, they're, they're so faithful to preach. I wish, I wish an elder in our church would just, would just show up soon and preach Christ crucified to them. Paul would say no. Paul would say, God has you right where he wants you for a purpose. And that purpose is to preach Christ crucified. You know, in a world where 
for whatever reason, as Christians, even, even in our 40s and our 50s and onward, we always kind of ask ourselves, well, what's our purpose? And, and in asking that question, we often think, well, what am I going to be doing three years from now? What am I going to be doing five years from now? And so what do we do? We sit in our holy huddles and we just pray, God, reveal your will. God, reveal your will. And here's the reality. God has revealed his will, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, also according to Matthew chapter 8. His will is simple. Preach Christ crucified. If you don't know what you need to do next, start there. And man, let me let you in on a little secret. If you go back and read Matthew chapter 28, you see the Great Commission. We see that the Great Commission calls us to preach Christ crucified. It says to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. But then here's this little nugget that we have in the Gospel of Matthew as well. There's a reason why we have Matthew chapter 28, and you see that reason in Matthew chapter 24, particularly verse 14, where Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then my favorite line, And then the end will come. Did you just catch that? For those of us waiting on the Lord to return, those of us wondering when Jesus Christ will come back, he tells us when the gospel has been preached to all the nations, then the end. But there's a catch. And the catch is this. Often people hear that passage and they think, we need to take the gospel to the nations. And there is some truth to that. However, there is another truth because when you look at this word nations, it literally translates to the peoples. So when God says to take this word to the nations, he's not just talking about the world. He's talking about our neighbors as well. You see, we have work to do when it comes, according to the text, to proclaiming the testimony of God. And it starts when we begin proclaiming that testimony to our neighbors. Verse 2 and 3, Paul continues. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now let's pause right there because I want us to notice that Paul notes here that he did not want the Corinthian Christians to be impressed by his rhetoric. Thus he did not preach in such a way that would simply please the crowd. He did exactly what he encouraged Timothy to do in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he commanded Timothy to preach the word above all else. In other words, what Paul is saying in these two verses is is quite clear and quite simple. He's saying, listen, just give them the message of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what else to say, just just give them Jesus. Give them the message of of the one who was crucified. Now pay attention to this because Paul was not trying to win people with amazing music. He wasn't trying to to win people because of the amount of stuff that they were doing. Paul wasn't trying to to win them with with blacked out rooms and and glitter and and inflatables. He was not seeking to entertain anyone, nor was he seeking the approval of man. But rather what Paul was doing was he was leading the Corinthians to the horror and the hope that is found in Christ crucified. The horror being the means of death, crucifixion, 
but also point them to the hope that the means now provided for all of mankind, which is Christ crucified. Paul continues from there, verse 3, and says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, a lot of scholars have sought to make sense of what it was that Paul was trying to say with these words. So let me give you two thoughts on what this very well could mean. And I believe one of them is actually more correct than the other one. So I'll start with the first one. Paul very well could have been speaking of himself and of his own personal weakness. You see, when Paul talked about his own weaknesses and fear and trembling, he could have been talking about his own nerves. He could have been talking about his own physical state. Now, historically, we know Paul was a frail and weak man. Yes, he was strong in terms of the proclamation of the gospel and his wisdom of the word, but Paul was rather weak in stature and weak in phys- physically. It's part of the reason why he traveled with Luke, who was his physician. In fact, some of our oldest Jewish writings, like those of Onesiphorus, describe Paul this way. Paul was a man of small stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, which, oh, by the way, means that he was round, with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked. Could you imagine if someone described you that way? I don't ever want to be described that way. In fact, if you could just keep it simple, just say, Johnny was a good man who had a face for radio, and I will be fine. I would never want to be described the way Paul has been described. I mean, I can't help but wonder, just think about this, okay? I can't help but wonder how many people have gotten to heaven, and they see Paul. And all of a sudden, this this model, this idea, this concept of Paul being this tall, strong, great warrior, and then all of a sudden they see him and they say to him, brother, look at you. You were not at all what I was expecting. To which I'm sure Paul has probably laughed a lot and probably said these words, yeah, you see me now. You should have seen me on earth through the lens of sin. I was pretty ugly then. But now I'm in a glorified state. What do you think of me now? So you see, it's very possible that Paul could have been describing himself and his own insecurities. However, what I believe is more accurate in the text is when Paul was, was saying of himself about his own weaknesses and fear and trembling, I think Paul was rather speaking of himself in terms of God and how God sees him. You see, these words very well could have, could have been used to describe Paul's state before God. In other words, if, if Paul knew what James had written by this point, he probably took James chapter 3, verse 1 very seriously when it says, not many of you brothers should become teachers, for we who teach will be held to a greater accountability. I mean, Paul took these words seriously. Paul was always mindful and and fearful that he would begin to rely on himself and not on God. Thus, this thought, when he speaks of his own weaknesses and fear and trembling, this thought is most likely the, the case for Paul because Paul is very aware of his own sins. Paul is very aware of his own rhetorical skills and his own mind, and he knew that if he relied on his own words, if he relied on his own abilities, then those words would fall well short of the word to preach Christ crucified. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's two things that we should hear from Paul in this moment. First of all, let's remember as we said a week ago, and we just read that passage earlier. Aaron, thank you for reading that. Remember a week ago, we talked about how we are the nothings 
that God chose. We are the nothings that God chose to use. So God can use our weaknesses for his glory. Why does that matter? Because as believers today, we need to stop talking ourselves out of preaching Christ crucified simply because we think we are inadequate to do so. God said, no kidding. You are, but I am not. I think the second thing that Paul teaches us here is this. He may say, look, you've got good skills. You talk well, boy, as my family would say. You speak well, you speak kindly, you speak graciously. And you've got an incredible and a powerful testimony. I think Paul would also say to you, if that's you today, he would say, listen, check your pride at the door. Because the reality is you shouldn't rely on your own words. Rather, what you should rely on is the word. And thus share the good news of the gospel. Paul will go on from there in verse 4. And he says, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now notice again that Paul's target again becomes the smooth eloquence of Greek rhetoric. He again states, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Notice that Paul teaches that his preaching was not defined by his own words, nor his own ability to persuade Paul did not want to see people won to his message. He wanted them to be won to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I preached a simple message to you because I did not want you to become entranced with my style. I didn't want you to become entranced with my flair or with my passion the same way you have done with other leaders. Remember where we were in 1 Corinthians and the factions that we had in the church. So what did Paul want the Corinthian Christians to be one with? Well, he answers that question. He says, but rather I came to show you and present a message in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to be one with the substance of the message. In other words, Paul preached Christ crucified and then trusted the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work from there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this should really be good news for us. I mean, we should really be encouraged by this message because we do not and we are not trying to win people to Jesus Christ with our own words. We're not trying to win them to Christ with our own stories. No, we are, we are simply called to be the messengers. We are called to be the ones who make known Christ crucified, and then we trust the Spirit of God to do the work from there. We are just merely the messengers. You see, here's the truth that Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian Christians today as they grow in their own understanding of holiness. And I think it's a truth that we need to hear today. When the power of the cross is proclaimed, the Spirit can and will do the work from there. So brothers and sisters, can I tell you this morning, let me, let me encourage you with this. Put your mind at ease this morning when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. Put your mind at ease this morning if all of a sudden you feel tension and nerves build up as you think about how one day you may have to preach Christ crucified to someone. 
Paul says to you, listen, just be faithful. Share the good news of the gospel. Just share, share Christ crucified. And then he says, and then let the Spirit do the work from there. And you may say, well, what if I get it wrong? Okay, so you get it wrong. So what? The Spirit of God will take care of that part. And oh, by the way, if you get it wrong, here's something that people often get afraid of. They say, I don't like to share the gospel because I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. I think that's the coolest thing ever when you get it wrong. And here's why. Because when you get it wrong, it gives you an opportunity to go back to that person and say, hey, I got it wrong, and you get to do it again. Talk about an open door of proclamation. Now, again, don't mishear me and say, hey, I'm going to go preach the wrong message just so I can do it again. No, don't do that, okay? Nobody ever walks up on a ball field thinking, hey, I'm going to strike out today and that's going to help my team. No, it doesn't. Don't do that. No quarterback has ever said, I'm going to throw this interception and it's going to be awesome. I mean, I guess if you're Aaron Rodgers, you can get away with that at this point, right? Right, maybe Tom Brady could, right? But that's the reality. Don't just, don't just get it wrong for the sake of getting it wrong. Rather, hear the grace that you may start to share and you may think, man, I'm starting to get this thing wrong. You just continue to be faithful in sharing the gospel. And if you go back and read the word and you realize, hey, maybe I didn't say this correctly, guess what? Good news. It gives you an open door and opportunity to go back and have that conversation again. So put your mind at ease and preach Christ crucified and let the Spirit do the work. And again, you may get it wrong, but here's the reality. If you get it wrong, trust what the Spirit will do. I mean, can I, can I just say something in all grace and humility right now? And, and I want you to hear my heart on this. Listen, here's, here it is. We don't need fancy and creative evangelism strategies. You just need to preach Christ crucified. We don't need circles. We don't need ping pong balls. Okay, I can't even look at a ping pong ball right now without thinking of a particular evangelism strategy. Now, again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying those things are bad or awful. They are good and they are helpful. And if they help you, if it gives you a tool in the arsenal, thanks be to God and praise be to God. But here's the reality. All we need is the confidence to share and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And if that is all we do, then the Spirit of God can and will work with that. And remember, it's the Spirit that does the work. Not you and not me. No one's coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of us. They're coming because of what Jesus did and what the Spirit is doing. Just be faithful to proclaim. Listen, when I think about faithfulness and proclaiming the gospel, I think about a dear friend and brother of mine who is still a pastor. His name is Jonathan. And um, Jonathan is from Chile and is an incredible man of God. And honestly, uh, people have asked me to describe Jonathan before, and all I can think of is he is the Hispanic Paul, okay? Like, that's all I can come up with, except he's way more handsome. I'll go ahead and give him credit for that. No crooked legs, no bald head, no, no weird crooked nose, not one unibrow. He like literally is a stud, he's Chilean, and he's Hispanic, and the man faithfully preaches the gospel. Jonathan and I had an opportunity to serve together at a church, and through that church we had an opportunity to uh, go on multiple mission trips. Um, on top of our normal uh, leadership responsibilities that we had, we also led uh, the missions for our church, and it was just a wonderful time of serving together. And I loved it when we got to plan a mission trip and go together. Um, and I particularly remember one trip where um, I went with Jonathan, 
something. We went with a team and we ended up being some of the first missionaries in this particular city, proclaiming the gospel, Hispanic town. Uh, Everybody spoke Spanish. I was there. I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. Initially, uh, my Spanish, I could understand it, but I had a hard time speaking it, so I still needed the help of a translator. Uh, But what uh, really, I think the reason why I was there helping Jonathan was because we were in a town full of small Hispanic people, and I'm like six foot two, uh, built like a defensive lineman. And so I was an anomaly in this town, okay? So they were just kind of looking at who the tall big fellow was, and they wanted to know, why are you here and are you lost? And uh, thankfully, by God's grace, I was able to say, no, I'm found, uh, translator, you know, and then I was able to proclaim, you know, share the gospel through that. I share that story to say this. Jonathan and I were there together, and on this one trip, I witnessed my brother in Christ share the gospel and by the Spirit of God lead 34 people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. He didn't have any circles. And he didn't have any ping pong balls, and he didn't have any napkins. All he had was his Bible. That was it. And sometimes he would open it if the conversation went that way. Other times he just knew the gospel so well that he would just begin to share, and the Bible almost became a prop for him, and it was unbelievable. And what I loved was we went on this mission trip several times together, and I would partner people with Jonathan, and he would share the gospel. People would come to faith in Christ, and then we'd have some new folks go with us, and then Jonathan would literally look at them and go, okay, now it's your turn. Like, how do you follow that guy? But he didn't do it for his own accolades. In fact, I think if Jonathan were to listen to this sermon, he'd probably be very upset with me, and I'll probably get a nasty email this week. But he did it because he simply loved Jesus. He did it because he understood that our calling as believers today is to simply preach Christ crucified. The same thing that Paul told the Corinthian Christians. So I want to say to you today, if you're uncomfortable sharing Jesus then can I encourage you, if you can't find a tool to use, can I encourage you to practice in your home? Not just sharing your testimony, but but sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look yourself in the mirror and share the gospel. And don't tell me it's awkward. How many of you dance and sing with your toothbrushes? It's not. If that's uncomfortable for you, maybe while you're on your, your, your car ride to work or from work, maybe you should just practice sharing the gospel. And then you may say, well, pastor, what if somebody next to me pulls up at a red light and they look at me like I'm weird, like I'm talking to myself? Don't worry. They already think you're weird. You know why? Because they've seen you talk to your podcast. They've seen you sing along with the radio and they've watched you eat. They know you're odd. Don't be embarrassed anymore. Just share. Share with yourself until until you become more comfortable and and confident with that. Practice preaching Christ crucified and then rest in the assurance that the power of God through the Holy Spirit will do the work from there. Now notice where Paul goes from here. Verse 5, he closes and he says this. He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now again, this is his reasoning for why he did not speak with eloquent and plausible words. You see, Paul here is sharing with us that he had a desire to see the Corinthians come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he wanted nothing more than to share that message with them and to ultimately lead them to do so. However, notice that he was concerned that ultimately these Corinthian Christians would place their trust and hope in human wisdom. So that's why Paul says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's hope was that by by the revealing of the Spirit, that the people would not be swayed by the rhetoric that comes from human wisdom. 
Rather, he wanted their faith to rest upon the power of God. I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a very simple message, we clearly see the call to preach Christ crucified. And I, and I know that this message is, is not a new thing to any of us in here. However, something that is often missed by us is when we think that this proclamation is for others to do. But the reality is, we are the ones who are called to share. If you're in this room professing that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, then that calling of preaching Christ crucified is now upon you. And as Paul teaches us, we're not trying to win them to us. We're wanting to see people come to faith in Christ. We're wanting them to see that there is a hope that can be had in Christ so that they can know and rest upon the power of God. Because as Paul has already stated, the reality is we are weak. And only Christ is strong. So if we're going to proclaim anything today, let's proclaim Him. Now, practically, how does this play out in our lives? How do I do this in our lives? Well, okay, let's walk through some scenarios. You meet someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ? Paul says, preach Christ crucified. You have family members or or friends around you who don't believe in Jesus Christ? Paul says, then preach Christ crucified. You have children that you want to see come to faith in Christ. Children living in your home that you want to see them grow in not only their heart for Christ, but their wisdom and understanding of Jesus Christ so that one day they will declare that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Then start today in your home and preach Christ crucified. Did you come in this morning struggling? Maybe today was a struggle for you to get to church. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe it's been a bad week, a bad month. A bad day, a bad weekend. Do you come in hurting? Then look yourself in the mirror and preach Christ crucified. Maybe work's going bad for you. Maybe your home is a disaster. Your home is a wreck. You don't know what's going to happen next. Then can I encourage you to sit down with the word and to yourself preach Christ crucified crucified and if that's not enough call your brothers and sisters and ask them will you preach Christ crucified to me do you just need encouragement for one day just one day something to go right then guess what I feel like an infomercial now preach Christ crucified you see in preaching christ crucified we will see and be reminded of the hope that we now have we will see and be reminded of the power that is found in god and god alone and praise god that we have a simple message of hope and that is christ crucified you see paul here reminds the corinthian christians that faith should not rest on human ability or rhetorical skill yes We as mankind are gifted in many wonderful ways and all of us around this room today have many wonderful skill sets. I look around this room and I got to tell you, I thank 
God for all of the wonderful skill sets that are represented in this room and all the brilliant people that we have in this room. In fact, I love to hear about what you do. I mean, you guys are incredibly skilled at what you're doing. I'm so thankful for that. However, our inventiveness, our skill, our creativity cannot solve the great sin problem with humanity. Only the power of the cross can do that. Only the good news of the death and the resurrection can provide the hope that mankind can have in what is to come. You see, the only hope for humanity to have redemption is this, for us to preach Christ crucified and through that message to proclaim to them the hope that we now have in the risen Savior and the hope that is to come for those who believe. So as we seek to grow in holiness, let's establish what we are now called to. Say it with me. Preach Christ crucified. I have learned in over the past five years that if all else fails in the preaching of a text, if I close out with a quote from an old dead dude, that, that may resonate better than my own words in a sermon. So let me do that today. Let me give you a word from John Calvin, somebody I've been reading about a lot over the weekend, popular guy. I'm getting the nod of affirmation from Daniel. He's going, yes and amen, stick with the dead dudes. I'll do that, brother, for you today. John Calvin on this passage says this. He says, here we have a beautiful passage from which we learn what, is, what it is that faithful ministers ought to teach and what it is that we must, during our whole lives, be learning and in comparison with which everything else must be counted as rubbish. You see, John Calvin teaches us that what matters more than anything else is preaching Christ crucified. It is the message of the cross the message of the resurrection, and everything else pales in comparison. So let's preach Christ crucified today. Let's give God the glory for what he has done in our lives, and let's give God the glory for what he will do as we are faithful to the call that he has placed upon each of us. Let's make him known. Let's pray together. May your glory know.